Right now on Fast 2, Dow Components front and center. Apple selling off hard, down over 5% today, dragging down the major averages. Meantime, Disney volatile in after hours, reporting better than expected growth for streaming. A deep dive on both stocks straight ahead, plus buying in the boardroom. We'll tell you which corporate insiders are scooping up their stock and what kind of message that could send to the markets. And later, a Bitcoin buzzkill shares a Coinbase down more than 25%. And news of a stablecoin that's lost its stability. The Bitcoin baller is here to break it all down. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money Live from the Nasdaq Market Site in the heart of Times Square on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Steve Grasso, and Brian Kelly. We begin with Apple's deep decline, the stock falling more than 5% today and quietly over the last week. It's down nearly 12%. Apple's market cap has now dropped close to $320 billion in a week. That is roughly one MasterCard and two sales forces. Throughout much of this sell-off, Apple has been a pillar of strength, not so much anymore. So what could that mean for the markets? Brian Kelly. Well, it, it seems to me that you might have some more weakness here, right? Apple has been this bellwether. Everybody has looked at it and said, you know what? This thing is levitating. This is what everybody's in. This is also a big retail name, so to speak, and actually in everybody's portfolio. It's in even the Swiss National Bank's portfolio. They're one of the largest holders. So this has been the big one. Breaking 150 was big. When we saw it break 150, you really saw the NASDAQ start to sell off, and it just kind of cascaded from there. So I think, you know, now looking at it, what do we do with it? You've got to wait for Apple to bottom and reverse before you're going to say, hey, maybe this is a chance to buy the market in the whole. Yeah, it's not just Apple, by the way. I mean, Microsoft didn't have a particularly good day either, Tim Seymour. And so, you know, for these two stalwarts in the market, the, the names that people pointed to is as sort of the ones that you want to be in, even when the levy breaks, um, you know, to break down here, that doesn't seem like good news. Mel, I love when you quote Led Zeppelin. Uh, even and I didn't even know day, it until it, the it words came up. out. That's the beauty <laughs> yeah. of it. Uh, I, I bet you didn't. Um, but, but look, when you look at the contribution of Apple and Microsoft today to the NASDAQ fall, Apple was down, you know, it was really rough math. It's 13% of the NASDAQ, uh, down 5%, that's 65 bips. Uh, Microsoft, about 10%, down about 3%, another 30 bips. They were, you know, they, they're basically one-third of the NASDAQ's loss today. And as I said on a show somewhere last week when we said stocks were getting ready to buy or where we want to buy them, I said, I don't feel great until Apple's at 125, and I'm going to hold by that. I think um, that's representative of also where, uh, when it first made that move to 125, of where the markets are uh, somewhere around here. We all know the story of a stock that really uh, has been defensive for a lot of good reasons, a lot of appropriate reasons. Uh, 23 times forward, still not that cheap. Karen, would you step in and buy Apple, or would you say, you know, 126 seems like a pretty good level here? I mean, when you take... It's got a lot of cash, too, on the balance sheet. So, you know, it, it looks different from other it ones. It does. It does look different. But to me, the one that looks even better and what I was looking to do very right at the close and I missed it was sell Amazon and buy Google. Google has more cash than absolute more cash and relatively more cash than Apple. And so that's my favorite position. I feel like Amazon, just anything that is a super high multiple, which given Amazon's last quarter, their multiple has gone up, even though the price has gone down because the quarter was bad. But uh, I just want to be out of higher multiples into lower multiples. So I am long Apple. I'm staying long Apple. Uh, I probably would buy more at around that level that Tim talks about. I'm also long Microsoft. And that's not particularly cheap either. Um, but I'm going to hang on to it. And I'm just sort of looking for things to, I want, I'm always long. So I'm always looking for things to buy. But I think, you know, something like 
uh, a Lululemon I want to buy, but a 30 mm -hmm. multiple, even though that's a lower multiple for Lulu, it's still not low enough. Yeah, tech seems scary. I mean, just <laughs> from, from the perspective of somebody sitting at home, I mean, it seems kind of scary when you think about the growth at all cost names continuing to get hammered. And then you have on top of that the big cap tech titans getting hammered on top of that. It seems like nothing is, quote unquote, relatively safe in today's market. Well, you nailed it. The Apple and Microsoft were considered the safest names in large cap tech. Those two have fallen off a cliff. And just to kind of, kind of uh, extend what BK was saying. These are in everyone's portfolios. No one's selling them. So we've all held them. I still hold them. Karen owns them. Uh, it, it, all these huge vanilla accounts own them. They're not going to sell them. The problem is who's going to buy them? Because all of those huge accounts already own them. So the retail public has to buy them. How are you going to call a bottom when you still have Russia? Rates when you still have inflation, when we still don't know what the Fed is going to do with the balance sheet. I think we have further to go. Therefore, Apple has further to go as well. Um, Carl Quintanilla tweeted uh, that is the highest volume day of the year for Apple, which is also notable given the decline in today's session. So, Tim, I'm wondering if you take that as some sort of little bit of solace in that this was done with a lot of conviction, the selling, and so that therefore maybe we are closer to getting to the bottom in Apple at least uh, then we're not. I, I think if you looked across the volume on the street today, you, you saw you know one and a half times volume on most of the mega cap stocks and some of the stuff that's really under the. I mean, if you looked at Arc today, uh, I think you were two times volume, and, and you see that starting to crescendo. I, I think just getting going here on Apple uh, for for the reasons that are well stated here. This is uh, Apple's balance sheet, a Apple's capital markets approach, uh, and everything about their core business is great. The, the problem here is it goes back to earnings. I still haven't hear, heard Apple tell me anything about demand destruction. I've only heard about supply dynamics. I heard a little bit about what's going on with uh, their services business on the demand side. But really, the pull forward here, uh, to me, I, I don't know why Apple isn't thrown in the same camp with Amazon in terms of COVID pull forward. And, and I realize it's a refresh cycle and we're tied in here. That's what concerns me. Uh, and the volume today, back to the question, is, is something I think you know, it should be higher. It's just getting going. It was that kind of a day. Yeah, I think the pull forward point is, is interesting because people don't really think about that in, in terms of Apple. I mean, people bought a lot of iPads and laptops during the mm -hmm. pandemic. I don't know when you're in the market again to shell out another couple thousand bucks, BK. Uh, I mean, you're a Bitcoin baller and you mine, so maybe you need, you need new stuff all the time and you right. break. Um, but still, like, that is a dynamic at play that, yeah, that the no. demand has been pulled forward. Absolutely, and not just for Apple, too, right? right. Let's expand exactly. that out. The one thing we haven't seen in this market is earnings estimates start to come down dramatically, right? And so what's going on in the market? If I look at it, I think the equity markets are starting to price in some kind of a global recession or at least a hard landing here in the U.S., where in the last couple of weeks it was maybe a soft or softish landing. So what do you have to do then? You have to have your earnings estimates come down. So if we're looking for where, where is the time to buy and where's the bottom, you want to see a big volume day, but that's one element of it. You need to see the reversal. But I think on the fundamental side, you really need to see analysts capitulate and say, hey, you know what, earnings aren't going to be good or a warning or something like that. Then you can say, hey, what, you know what, maybe it's time to get back in. All right. All right. Let's get to Disney now because that is moving in the after hour session. The entertainment giant dropping on earnings. The company reporting stronger than expected sub subscriber numbers for their streaming platforms. Julia Vorson's here to take us inside the numbers and tell us what's going on in the conference call. Julia.
Well, Melissa, just to take a look at that chart there. First, the stock popped, then it turned negative. Now, the pop was on better than expected subscriber numbers for Disney+. Plus. The company added 7.9 million Disney Plus subs rather than the roughly 5 million that analysts had anticipated. The company did say they are on track for their targets of between 230 and 260 million Disney Plus subs by 2024 and that the service will achieve profitability by then. But the stock has been moving lower. It's now down about 3.5%. This all happening during the earnings call on a warning that the company just made saying that they did add more subs than expected in the first half, also warning that some of the markets that they're going to be launching towards the end of the fiscal third quarter are going to be impacted by those geopolitical factors, some of those countries in Eastern Europe. Now, the company also saying they expect content sales and other licensing results to decrease by as much as $200 million from the prior year, while direct-to-consumer programming and production costs are expected to increase by more than $900 million in dollars in fiscal Q3, and they say that that reflects various higher content expenses. See Bob Chapek saying just a couple minutes ago that they are carefully watching content cost growth. The company did adjust down its content spend for fiscal 2020 by about a billion dollars. Chapek did speak on a, on a lighter note about strength in the parks division, which did beat expectations. He noted that at the domestic parks, per capita spending was up by 40%. Melissa? Julia, the stock is now down by more than 4%, so it's uh, gone deeper in the red since we started talking. Um, but I just want to be clear, they're talking about uh, geopolitical impacts in the, in the markets that they plan to launch in the third quarter. So that's, that's basically they're guiding down in terms of subs for the year. Yes, yeah, so, so it, it, the indication was that they hadn't expected to add as many subs as they did this quarter. They did in the first half of this calendar year add more subs than expected. So there's this question then is, will the second half maybe perhaps be lighter? I mean, if you look at the fact that they're going to be launching Disney Plus in markets like Poland, of course, they're going to be sensitive to the fact that there could be an impact of that Russia uh, conflict in Ukraine right now. So there's the question of uncertainty there. And then also, I think a little bit of caution in terms of saying that they're pulling down their content spending from 33 billion to 32 billion for the year. Some people might say that's being uh, responsible here. And the company has talked about this flywheel, this idea that they are having success taking um, taking different brands and expanding them across all the different platforms. A lot of talk about the success of some of their recent films. Um, but Melissa, you know, it, it seems like we are getting a, lot, a little bit of caution and a little bit more granular detail in the commentary on the call right now. But I just want to point out that the bright spot really does seem to be the domestic parks mm -hmm. in particular, revenue beating expectations, but particularly that spending being strong at least through the end of the quarter. All right, Julia, thank you. Keep us posted. Julia Borston on Disney. Uh, shares are down about 4% right now. Steve Grasso, what do you make of the quarter? Yeah, so streaming, obviously, uh, beat. you're going to get your bigger margins there. Parks is something that we've been talking about with the reopening. They do a, a, a very good number there. And, and if you look at the, the numbers they're doing, they're beating pre-pandemic levels in parks. That's a huge event for Disney. The problem is the market, the macro market, is selling off. Disney came off from $156 last earnings all the way down. It was actually higher than that, all the way down to about $100 where it's trading now. It didn't pop enough off of earnings. Now, if you look at the pandemic low, unless my screens are wrong, I believe we're at $79. Mm -hmm. That, to me, 
is, is, is an incredible level to put it in perspective. We're not talking about a pandemic right now. We're talking about geopolitical and political headwinds for Disney and a macro market that's selling off. This means that the market is concerned more with macro than they are with granularity of Disney actually having a good report. All right. Um, Tim, as a shareholder, what do you make of it? And, and in terms of, you know, the impact, geopolitical impact on some of the markets they plan to launch, it, it seems like that's something that you would look through because it's not necessarily demand destruction. It's demand delayed. Um, you know, if the conflict gets resolved, then the demand should be there eventually. So they, they've reaffirmed uh, 240 to 260 million subs by 2024. Uh, they, they've given some caution that maybe they've pulled a little bit forward. But yes, they have new markets. Uh, you know, Netflix, uh, if you think about some of the pain here, it's about where they are saturated. Certainly you can saturated. International, maybe not as receptive. Let's see on Disney. I, I mean, Disney's, Disney's brand, Disney's image around the world uh, is extraordinary. Their ability to grow into these markets is extraordinary. Um, I, I think the diversified platform here of Disney it is really uh, what this is all about. What are you willing to pay for this company that has this flywheel that, that we talk about all the time on this, this show and the studio that continues to, to, to crunch it out? I mean, it's 20-ish times on forward, um, which if you look back on a 10-year, it's, it's actually in line. But if you look at the last couple of years, the problem is streaming assets everywhere are being revalued. What are they worth? Well, the depth of linear TV, undisputable. Um, Disney, as well positioned as anybody with a more diversified model, agree with Steve. Uh, Parks is extraordinary, even without international tourists. Um, I think it's, uh, it's time to be buying Disney. What would you pay for Disney, Karen? Uh, less than right here, probably. And then Tim talked about a 20-ish multiple. I think you have to pull out the Parks. It's interesting. Parks was really great. And yet it's sort of, uh, uh, you know, people don't really want to talk about that. That's not the story. It's the streaming story. And so if the, the blended multiple is 20 and the parks aren't getting much credit, what does that mean for the streaming multiple? I think it's much higher. And if you look at Netflix multiple, it's 15 and change. Could Disney, you know, trade down to that for the streaming multiple? Why not? I don't know. I think that uh, if it trades below 100, it could trade, you know, as low as 90. That wouldn't be shocking. Probably there I would step in. I agree with Tim. You know, it is a premier name. It deserves a premier multiple. But the market right now, you know, money losing streaming isn't, isn't really in favor. Yeah, well, for me, I mean, I, I'm going to play the dyslexic guy since I am. I look at it completely backwards. I don't <laughs> think the parks number is actually good for the stock price. And here's why because that's already in there. We already know that. Is it going to get any better? Are people going to give, travel more? Probably not with the gas prices going. What I do like, though, is that we're starting to price in some of the geopolitical risk, some of this stuff. And this, you know, as Steve mentioned, this was a $200 stock a year ago or a little more than a year ago. So we have priced in a lot of bad news. If I saw parks start to go down and the stock move down towards the 80s, then I'd start to get interested. Coming up, we're all over the after hours move and beyond meat and Rivian shares of those companies moving in opposite directions. We're breaking down the numbers next, plus Alphabet CEO Sundar Pichai sitting down for an exclusive interview after the company's developer conference, what he had to say on the tech titan's future. The details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Beyond Meat. Shares plummeting after the company reported a miss in the top and the bottom lines. Kate Rogers got the details. Hey, Kate. 
Hey, Melissa, you said it. Miss on the top and bottom lines on the call. CEO Ethan Brown touting the success of some of its new products like its Beyond Plant-Based Jerky. That's in partnership with Pepsi, which helped to offset some revenue decreases it saw in its U.S. retail segment. He also talked about some decisions today that were made, uh, that were costly, rather, like manufacturing that product, contributing to a reduction in gross margin that he called sizable in order to support strategic launches. The company has also expanded into more retailers and even drug and convenience stores for products like chicken. So, Likely more commentary to come on the call uh, about those. In terms of guidance for the year, net revenue is expected to be right in, the, in line here in the range of $560 million to $620 million. But as you said, the stock down more than 20% now, hit a new 52-week low today, down about 70% in the last six months. So it's certainly taken quite the hit. Back over to you. All right. Thank you, Kate Rogers. Um, this is not the kind of stock this kind of market likes, Steve Grasso, obviously, down 21%. No. No, it isn't. And, and, you know, just talking about it, I know fundamentals don't matter, and I, and I know the actual granularity doesn't matter, but I think we were pretty unanimous on this desk um, that it, it's not a healthy substitution for meat. It's loaded with sodium, it's loaded with fat. Now, forget all that. Let's go to Tyson. Tyson is where I think you're going to want to be, uh, because if the United States starts worrying about food and starts worrying about ag and starts worrying about distribution networks and supply chains... Beyond Meat doesn't have any of that going for it. So that's not going to help with the headwinds going forward. This is a growth stock. It's priced like a growth stock. The market doesn't like growth right now. TSN is probably where I'd be. Yeah. Brian Kelly? Yeah. You know what? I just looked up the uh, P.E. ratio of Beyond Meat on my Google machine here. I got an N.A. You know why? Because it doesn't have an E. The E is negative, right? So in this environment, when people are looking for how much cash is on their balance sheet, where can I get a value here? Beyond Meat is a name you don't want to be in. I don't care whether you like the meat, whether you don't like the meat. You just don't want to be anywhere near this in this environment. Uh, let's stick with earnings here and get to Rivian. Uh, results also out after the belt today. The stock is popping as the company maintains production goals for the year. Despite a loss per share and a big revenue miss, the conference call is underway. Phil LeBeau is here to dig into the numbers. Hey, Phil. Hey, Melissa, this is a relief rally, and I know it's not much of a rally, but it is a relief for uh, investors in Rivian because this is an affirmation of what the company has said, a reaffirmation of what they've said over the last, basically, couple of months. 2022 production, they said it was going to be 25000 reaffirmed that today. 2022 EBITDA guide, they reaffirmed that as well. It's going to be a loss, but a reaffirm that they're not going to lose any more than previously expected. Reservations, now top 90000 Last time we got an update in March, they were at 83000 And on the call, RJ Scringe said more than 10000 of those reservations have come since they've increased the price. Remember when that happened? Uh, and they increased the price, and then people said, what's going on here? And those are for the trim level of topping $93,000. And finally, the CapEx guide was also reaffirmed for this year. And the tenor and tone, Melissa, on this conference call, far different than after the fourth quarter. During the fourth quarter call, it was pretty clear. RJ Scaringe was talking about production issues. And look, they still have some production issues, but it's, it, they did not have the same level of confidence that they're exhibiting on this call today. So that's the reason you see the shares moving higher post-market. All right, Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau. I like how Phil called it, you know, a relief rally, but not much of one, considering the stock is down 48% in the prior one-month period, Tim. <laughs> Up 4% after hours doesn't I, seem like much. 
this isn't relief that you want. And, and again, talking about, look, it was a narrower loss than expected. Talking about we have enough cash on hand to launch a new vehicle in 25 and a new lower priced SUV. And it's all in the future. And, and the market's not paying for future growth right now. So, um, and again, think about companies that need to come to market and what the cost of capital will be. Uh, I, look, Rivian has incredible, let's, let's remind everybody, the, the partners that they have, uh, in Amazon and the commitments that Amazon has here and in Ford and in other service providers uh, is extraordinary. Uh, it's, it's a question about waiting for this company to actually deliver on profitability. And maybe the market doesn't need to do that. Uh, but reaffirmation is good in this environment. And I think they have some peers farther down on the, the EV quality curve that haven't even been able to do that. Um, so, you know, good for them. Not a reason to go buy the stock. Yeah, the short interest is, is 11% on Rivian, so the up 5% really doesn't seem like much in that context as well. Um, but Karen, the, the whole space, I mean, take a look at Tesla today. That was also down 8% along with a lot of the mega cap tech titans. So even for the ones that actually manufacture and deliver cars, it's not any easier. Right. I, I think the worst thing that ever happened to Rivian was going public when they did at, I don't know, 78, and then it traded up to what, 140 or something, which was insane. So it's not crazy that it's here. It's really much more crazy that it was ever there. The rest of that, that release sort of looked okay. It was, you know, had we not seen all that drama before, I think this wouldn't be that dramatic. Tesla, though, however, obviously great production numbers. They make money. The balance sheet's in good shape. All of that. It's the PE multiple that is sort of no longer in vogue right now. And I think that pressure will continue. All right. We are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. An inside scoop. Top execs buying their own stock. So does their conviction mean upside for your portfolio? The details ahead. Plus, crypto collapse. Coinbase shares tanking after reporting. And the entire crypto space is feeling the pain. Our Bitcoin baller is breaking down the carnage. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks finishing sharply lower. The Nasdaq down more than 3%. But in the middle of all this selling, there is a growing wave of insider buying going on. Uber's CEO, Dara Khosrowshahi, buying $5.3 million worth of shares. Charles Schwab's CEO, Walter Bettinger, grabbing $9.5 million in stock. Shopify CEO, Toby Lutke, a $10 million buy. And Spotify CEO, Daniel Ek, $50 million. All of these pickups coming in just the last couple of weeks. Here to take us inside these moves and give us some insight into some of the well-timed buys is Ben Silverman, Director of Research at Verity Data. Ben, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, Melissa. Pleasure to be here. Is it surprising to you that we've seen this wave of insider buying, and, and is it too much to jump to the conclusion that perhaps um, you know, this is a good sign overall for markets? I mean, it's not surprising when, when stocks sell off like, like they have been. Uh, you know, historically, insiders will buy. I would say right now we're seeing some encouraging signs. Earnings season is wrapping up over the next week or so, and that's going to free insiders at virtually every company uh, to be able to buy, you know, to buy stock. So right now the early signs are encouraging. It seems like when you parse through uh, who is buying and, and why they're buying, it's important to keep in mind that, you know, CEOs and C-suite execs are like any other investor. Sometimes they buy well and sometimes they don't. <laughs> so who has a good track record in terms of buying well, um, buying, you know, well-timed purchases of stock? 
So that's a, that's an excellent point. So when looking out at the recent buying, uh, some people stand out are Aon Chairman Lester Knight. He just bought $4 million in shares. He's got a strong buying track record stretching back over 10 years, and he's bought almost $50 million of stock in that period. And he's just got a real knack for uh, recognizing when the stock is oversold, and he does a good job of you know buying the stock and you know really sending a strong signal. Uh, another interesting one is uh, General Motors CFO Paul Jacobson. Now, he joined the company in December 2020, and this is his first buy. But he was the CFO at Delta uh, Airlines prior to that, and he had a really good buying track record there. So he just bought $1.4 million in shares. And so, you know, we like a finance exec who, you know, sends undervalued uh, signals. Yeah, another sort of signal is a reversal of sentiment, Ben. And this was sort of interesting because – uh, Dara Khazar Shahi falls into this sort of bucket. Yeah, you know, and you, and you uh, noted um, Charles uh, Schwab's, you know, Walt Bettinger as well, um, even uh, Toby Ludke at uh, at Shopify. Now, I will say a $10 million buy is a great buy, but people should be aware that he sold $150 million in shares during the back half of last year. So it's a small reinvestment for him. So you do want to look for people who are changing their sentiment when, you know, the stock comes in. And, you know, the truth is insider buying is a management action versus management words that happen on conference calls. And, and just to be clear, just underscore the point that these are buys that are being made outside of just designated plans, correct? Correct. These are open yeah. market in here and now buys. They're, you know, they're seeing what the stock price is. It's typically obviously coming right after earnings. Uh, you know, there's the material non-public information is out there, you know, and they're choosing to buy. All right. Ben, great to get your perspective. Thanks so much. Thank you. Ben Silverman. Karen, do you look at insider buying as any sort of signal? I do. I mean, I remember very well when Jamie Dimon bought, I think mm-hmm. it was almost $50 million with the J.P. Morgan, and that was the bottom. It's not like I remember everything Jamie Dimon does, but that very much turned the sentiment here. (laughs) To me, that's Spotify. The $50 million, that's a big buy. That's worth looking at. Yeah. Any of those um, companies, Steve Grosso, pique your interest? Well, when you look at it, I think you nailed it. Do they have a track record, A? And B, when you look at Spotify, it's down 76% year-to-date. Uber is down 46% year-to-date. So, I wouldn't be peaked on either of these. Um, I do think it's odd that Lyft is trading right at the pandemic low. Uber is still trading above that. So if you're thinking about the economy opening up again, you would probably maybe dabble in Uber, but I, I really don't feel inspired. Uh, one, one more thing. There's reasons, a hundred reasons why people sell stocks. They could diversify. They could be going through a divorce. They could be doing any one of a number of things. There's only one reason why insiders buy is I don't care what they're hold, they think the stock is going higher. Yeah, and so, you know, to follow on what Steve was saying, in, in Uber, you think about what just happened. They released some relatively bad news, right? And Uber's trading back to basically pandemic or pre-pandemic levels. And so you've got a CEO there that basically put up $5 million and said, you know what, I'm going to turn these things around and I'm putting my money where my mouth is. So in and of itself, it's not enough to get me to buy, but it's a great signal from, from the Uber. All right. Uh, Alphabet shares sitting at lows for the year, down more than 21 percent as they kicked off their annual developers conference today. Deidre Boza had a chance to sit down with the CEO, Sundar Pichai, for an exclusive interview uh, interview a short time ago. Debo joins us now uh, with a taste of what was said. Debo. 
So, Melissa, as we were sitting down, we were both watching the market close. The Nasdaq down another 3%. So I asked under Pachai, you know, how vulnerable is Alphabet to more selling pressures, to a potential recession? He said that, like everyone, he's watching. It's uncertain right now. But he said he's not going to scale back investments. They're going to remain nimble. Have a listen. So we, we are continuing to invest, but, you know, we'll obviously, given the uncertainty, uh, you know, pay, pay close attention to it. And to the extent, you know, as a company, we need to do something differently like we've always done. Uh, you know, we, we, we do this responsibly. You know, I did ask about specific plans. Alphabet is planning to hire 12,000 more employees this year. It's also spending nearly $10 billion on infrastructure for that hybrid work strategy. Um, so I asked him, too, what made him different? What made him more confident than other tech companies right now, like Meta, that is scaling back their hiring plans, whether that be a freeze or maybe some other companies that are looking at layoffs? And he really said it came down to diversification. Of course, advertising is still in search, is still Alphabet's main business. But we did talk about a whole lot of other things like YouTube, like self-driving, like cloud. And we're going to talk about all of that and get to it all on Tech Check tomorrow morning, Melissa. That's a tease, Debo. <laughs> I was going to say, what did he say about YouTube? What did he say about all these things? <laughs> all right, we'll tune in tomorrow. Yeah, tune in. Deidre <laughs> Bosa um, with Sundar Pichai shortly ago. Um, Tim Seymour, you own it. Stock's been terrible. Yes, um, I do. So what do you what do you do here? It, it was an outperformer today. Um, I this is one where I think you have an opportunity to 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 be adding on weakness, and I I wouldn't feel uncomfortable owning Google at these levels. This is a company that that it, it not only on multiple. We talk about this all the time. It's it's a peg ratio that's you know inside of one. It's it's a company that's trading probably about 18 times forward, maybe less at this point. Um, but they continue to invest in their business. I mean, they, they've also just come out with a bunch of products that, that I don't know if you're going to challenge Apple with their own smartwatch or with their own earbuds or with you know, a handful of other products. But I, I do think when you look at the, the core business that they have, search, but then also the, the YouTube business and where they sit in the digital ad world, uh, these things aren't going anywhere. And, and, and this company at these levels has been thrown out with the bathwater. They're not going in anywhere in the sense that they're not going away, but in terms of advertising these days, I mean, yes, search is great because of the leverage it has to travel at this moment in time, Karen, but the overall ad spending picture, are you concerned about that in, in this market? Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be surprising, right, if the economy really took a turn for the worse if their advertising revenue went down. But I think that the balance sheet, the mode that they have, the valuation that it's trading at. Remember also they're doing a $70 billion buyback, um, which would be nice support for the stock. So just like Tim said, I was looking to buy it actually right at the close today. So I'll probably do that tomorrow morning. Could it trade down? Of course, everything could trade down. But I feel like in terms of risk reward, this is one where I definitely feel much safer than a high flying multiple that's come in a lot, but is still a relatively high multiple. All right, coming up, we've got more on the After Hours move in Disney. Shares are higher after reporting. We'll talk to top, a top media analyst who says the company should do a streamer swap. We've got more on that next. And check out Coinbase cratering after reporting results this morning. The entire space is in disarray as crypto winter takes full effect. We'll dig into the moves when Fast Money returns. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Disney shares lower after announcing a jump in streaming subscribers. Our next guest says that for CEO Bob Chapek to make his mark, it might be time for him to do some buying. Let's bring in Rich Greenfield, partner at Lightshed Partners. Before we get to uh, what Chapek should be doing, why is the stock down after hours, Rich? Look, I think Christine McCarthy, the CFO, certainly signaled a bit of a slowdown versus expectations. Still growing, you know, she's still saying more subscribers to Disney Plus in the back half of the year. But she said essentially it won't be as strong as they had previously expected, really due to the first half outperformance. And so, you know, I think a little bit of just investor skittishness of numbers in the back half are coming down a little bit for subscriber growth, sort of signal the geopolitical activity in Eastern Europe could put some pressure on subscriber growth. And look, I also think there's just the fundamental reality of the market is growing increasingly concerned about the R word, right? I mean, recession is everywhere, inflation is everywhere, and those fears are growing. While Disney's theme parks are literally packed to the gills. I mean, Melissa, it is absurd. I don't know if you've been down there recently. It's insane how packed they are. But the flip side of that is we've seen a lot of sort of COVID beneficiaries start to pay the price over the last six or nine months, you know, whether we're talking Netflix or you're talking Roblox. I think the fear is sort of, does Disney pay the price for this next year? Like, is, is this the benefit right now? And what happens on the other end of this sort of surge? And do we boomerang back next yeah. year? And that's certainly a fear that's growing among investors. So pull forward, basically, of, of, of travel uh, in trips to Disneyland. Um, Rich, I'm curious, what, why do you think Disney should make a purchase now? What do you think it should buy? Why is that the answer for Disney? Well, Melissa, it wasn't too long ago that you had me on the show and we were talking about how Disney actually, or I should say Netflix's enterprise value actually surged ahead of Disney's. Now you're talking about, you know, Disney is essentially three times larger in enterprise value. Um, You know, it just seems like this is a unique opportunity and the companies are very complimentary. You know, Netflix has global scale in streaming beyond just family. Actually, the place they're probably weakest is in family content, kids content. That's not where they're strong, but that's exactly where Disney is strong. And so I would look at something like Hulu. Hulu is a, a sort of a U.S. only asset. Disney Plus is actually going to be bigger than Hulu soon. It just doesn't seem to have that much strategic importance versus for your parent company, NBC. It would be a real asset to combine it with Peacock and to really have a very strong U.S. presence, I think would make a lot of sense for Comcast and NBC. And for Disney, that would give them a stronger balance sheet. And allow them to go out and do something like Netflix. Or if Netflix is too big for their, you know, for for essentially their stomach, you look at something like Roblox, and we, we've ta- you know talked continuously. My partner Brandon Ross keeps talking about sort of how interactive entertainment, interactive experiences are the future of media. Disney could be leaning in and actually own one of the biggest platforms out there in Roblox. I mean, Roblox is a twelve billion dollar enterprise company. Even if Disney paid two or three x where it's trading it would be pocket change for Disney in the scheme of things, especially if they sell Hulu. So I just keep thinking about Bob Iger. When he came in, he made his mark by buying Pixar. That was the transformative transaction that started the Iger era. Obviously, there was Marvel and Lucasfilms later, but that transformative transaction was doing something big and bold early on. We haven't seen that from Chapek. It seems like this market is creating that opportunity and the question is, is does he take advantage of it? Because Disney looks a lot better positioned than most of these other media companies right now in order to take, basically use its balance sheet and to use its underlying diversification. Hey, Rich, it's Karen. Thanks for coming on. I understand what you're saying about selling Hulu, but still, Disney had that, not near death, but that painful experience with debt for an acquisition before. So 
and they can't, they can't or probably wouldn't want to use their currency, their stock right here to do an acquisition. It'd have to be probably north of a $100 billion deal. So do you think there's a chance that Apple could come in to buy Netflix? Look, anything is possible. I, you know, I don't, I don't think that's the way Apple operates. Mm -hmm. Obviously, their largest acquisition, I believe, mm -hmm. is still Beats for a few billion dollars. And so you're talking about, right. let's just say Netflix would sell for, you know, 2x where the stock is trading today. Let's just, you know, whatever the, you pick a number, Karen, I don't know what the number is, but that's just a massive transaction. And I think Apple is showing you brick by brick, they're building a streaming business. They're being very patient. We'll see whether they get Sunday ticket, but they seem to be leaning into sports a little bit more heavily now. But I would say dollar for dollar, if you were to look across the entire streaming landscape, content quality, not most watched, not most viewed, but content quality, I'd say of all the streamers, dollar for dollar, Apple is actually hitting at the highest batting percentage. Like it's just, they're really creating great content. I just think from that standpoint, going out and making a huge acquisition just doesn't feel like Apple. I mean, it doesn't feel like they need to. I mean, Apple's not suffering because they don't own Netflix. Rich, we've got to leave it there. Always great to get your analysis. Rich Greenfield. Thanks for having me. Light shed. Uh, Tim Seymour, would you be a happier Disney shareholder if Disney bought Roblox or Netflix? It, it, it all depends what they're paying. Um, I, I like the Roblox idea. In fact, we've talked about on this show where they should get into gaming as well, whether it was Electronic Arts or uh, you know, one, of the, one of the entities that made more sense, and especially ones that are trading well off their all-time highs. Uh, I do believe that Roblox could be brand-friendly. I do believe it, it, it could certainly uh, connect them to a universe, of course, that we all talk about all the time. They don't need to be there now. Uh, and if I think about even some of the content that could come out of that, um, that is something that is ripe for exactly what Disney does well. So could they be opportunistic here? Yes, they could. All right. Coming up, Coinbase crushed. We'll dig into the details next. And speaking of crypto, Bitcoin and the rest of the space up in flames as a meltdown in one so-called stable coin shakes the whole crypto market. The Bitcoin baller is making sense of the madness. Do not go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back. We've got some breaking news on Elon Musk and federal regulators. Let's get to Julia Borson with the details. Julia. Well, Melissa, the Wall Street Journal is reporting that the FTC is investigating Elon Musk's failure to timely report to report his buying of Twitter shares in a timely manner to antitrust enforcers. The question here is the timing of those disclosures. Now, sources telling the journal that the FTC is establishing a deadline in the next month for the agency to decide whether to conduct an in-depth review of the Twitter transaction, noting that under U.S. merger law, Musk is required to notify the FTC and DOJ and wait at least 30 days before closing a deal in order to allow an investigation. We are reaching out to the FTC and Twitter to comment. We'll let you know when we hear more. Uh, but those Twitter shares, they're still far below that $54.20 that Musk is buying the company for. Melissa? Yeah. Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. Um, Karen, are you even more skeptical that a deal gets done given this news? I'm not. I mean, first, I think for sure he violated the rules. No question to me. It's, it was ridiculous. He didn't file for weeks out, two weeks after he went over 5%. But I think, you know, we've seen him make a mockery of the SEC multiple times. This is just another one. I think they'll just 
penalizing money. It could take some time. It certainly won't make Twitter trade tighter, but it, it's, I mean, at some point as an ARB, it's actually going to be a buy. Not quite yet, but I you know another couple of days we could get there. All right. We've got a buzzkill for you here on Coinbase. We brought you their earnings on the sh show last night, but the stock continuing to get slammed in today's session. The CEO reassuring customers that crypto, ex the crypto exchange has no risk of bankruptcy. There was a line in their in their filing um, to the effect of, you know, basically they are a custodian of assets and in bankruptcy they could seize those assets. That is sure to spook people, Tim Seymour, and it certainly did today. Didn't didn't help. Well, again, people are looking at the, call it the, the, the magic that has been crypto, blockchain, and, and what's evaporated. And a lot of people just don't really ultimately know where the exposure lies um, to, to the extent that uh, they have to clarify comments. And that creates more of a problem on you know, uh, a week when they've already announced earnings and talked about the death and destruction in that space. Again, I, I think it's really more about who is their client base uh, how, you know, how have they survived this? Will they still be intact? Um, I think that's really the existential risk here. I, it's hard for me to comment on the bankruptcy dynamic. Um, they should be making statements. That's what they're doing. All right. Um, see your crypto and huge drops. Check out this stable coin. Stable coin. Uh, Terra's Luna breaking its one-to-one -one peg to the dollar, plunging to as low as 26 cents this morning. We talked about this, BK, earlier in the week as being a contributing factor to the decline in, in Bitcoin that we've seen recently. Yeah, this was a real accelerant. So this started over the weekend, and this is a, what they call an algorithmic stablecoin, and they use kind of an arbitrage mechanism to peg their UST to $1. So over the weekend, that peg fell apart. It caused people to sell the, the other coin, which is called Luna, and at the same time, what the Luna Foundation Guard, which is the foundation behind Luna, they came out and they had bought a billion and a half dollars worth of Bitcoin, and the world was afraid they were going to have to sell that Bitcoin to stabilize the price. They haven't sold the Bitcoin yet, but the, the currency collapsed, and that really accelerated the sell-off here in Bitcoin. So I asked you this in the break before, but I will ask you this for the benefit of our viewers, and that is, you know, I understand that there may not be systemic risk in, in terms of systemic to the financial system, but systemic within the crypto world, mm -hmm. is there risk? Is there, I, are there knock-on effects? Yeah, I think there are. Anytime that you see this type of extraordinarily volatility, you're going to see, you know, whether it be funds that blow up, um, whether it be individual investors are certainly... Uh, nursing quite a few wounds. So I think over the next couple of weeks, you're going to see some of these bodies float to the top and you need to be worried about that. Now, in the long run, I think this, you know, ultimately, if we get through this, it's going to harden Bitcoin. But in the short to medium term, we've, we've got some, some really negative stuff to get through. And you're still net short Bitcoin? I am, I am still net short Bitcoin. I do think at some point there's going to be a massive buying opportunity, but it's just not today. Like around where? Well, I'll tell you what, if you, it's, it's less about price. I'll mm -hmm. probably, you know, for me, if I could cover my shorts in the low 20,000, I'd be pretty happy. Uh, but it really comes down to when the Fed pivots, that's when you want to buy. All right. Uh, meantime, let's check out Roblox shares finishing the day well off highs. The interactive tech company was up as much as 22% today after reporting results that missed on the top and the bottom lines. But the company did report strong user growth, and one options trader is paying, that, is paying or betting that growth will pay off. Tony Zhang joins us with the action. Tony. Yeah, Melissa, roller coaster day here for Roblox. 
trading nearly five times the average daily volume, and one single trade accounted for 13% of today's total volume, where a trader purchased 18,000 contracts of a January 2024 17 and a half 30 65 call spread risk reversal. This is a very long dated January 2024 bullish view targeting $65 to the upside and committing $31 million in capital to purchase 1.8 million shares if the stock does fall down to that 17 and a half put strike. So very long dated, very large bullish play here for Roblox. Uh, Steve Grasso, bad news, good price action. So what do you make of the stock? Yeah, I, I, I'm, it, well, it's down 45% for the month. And I, I get you on the, uh, on the bad news, good price action, because people are just bottom fishing at this point. You have shorts that are looking to cover as well. But, but when you're looking at this, if the market still continues on its trending lower, which I think a lot of us still think it's going to do, this one is going to trade lower. I would look at yesterday's low, which I think was around 2165 if you're going to risk money in today's uh, dollars here where it popped, use that as you're out. All right. Uh, Tony Zhang, you're still out there. Thank you. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, we got your final trade. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Fast Money. Kohl's under pressure today after shareholders voted to keep its current board of directors. This comes after activists from Macellum Advisors pushed for the retailer to revamp its slate of directors. Um, Karen, basically this is a follow-up because you railed against the Kohl's board for allowing the vote to go through. So what do you think now? I think the board has really done a disservice to shareholders. We don't know if this process to look at other bids to sell the company has really been pursued realistically. I'd love to hear that it was and that they get sold for a price much higher. We know there are bids at 68 and higher. I think that's less likely. At this point, the risk reward, though, is maybe down a buck or two, up 20. I'll hang on to my stock. All right. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. Yeah, Disney, look, we're, we're back to 2015 levels. We're back to levels where the company was valued differently in a different environment. I get that. I, I like what we have here. Steve Brasso? Hershey, and it's not what to buy, it's what to sell. I think you take profits, Hershey, sell it. For the last month, it's made a series of lower highs, lower lows. Karen Feinerman. Yeah, Walgreens boots on the tape tonight. They sold a $900 million stake in American uh, Amerisource. Uh, good for them. Use that to pay down debt. It's a value stock with a high dividend. BK Brian Kelly. You know, for me on down days like this, I like to look at my screen and see what's green. Exxon Mobil was green today, and the refining margin should be pretty good still. All right. Thank you all for watching Fast Money. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.